Welcome everyone to Stepping Into Your Leadership. I'm your host, Christine Courtney. Our goal here is to give you some actionable takeaways that will help you lead your teams. Thanks for joining us on this leadership journey. Let's get started. everybody. Welcome to Stepping Into Your Leadership. I'm your host, Christine Courtney, coach, facilitator, and president of the Leadership Program. I'm very excited. This is our second podcast today. Woohoo! Our first one. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it if you want, because each time we're going to talk about one particular topic, and then the second podcast, the follow-up one, will be all actionable tips, strategies, and stories related to that one of how you can incorporate it in your workplace. The topic that we're starting with is a big, what I call the great differentiator, which is psychological safety. And uh, it sounds very woo-woo, right? But it's incredible how it relates to bottom line business and performance. And I find it to be absolutely exciting and something that everybody buys into once they know a little bit about it. So go back and listen if you want to deep dive into psychological safety into episode one. This one, we're going to give you a brief overview, but then we're going to jump right into the how of how to do it. Every episode or so, I have a special guest who I think is a magician at whatever the topic is. And I'm really excited about our guest today. He's one of my favorite people in the universe. He's an amazing facilitator, a wonderful leadership coach. But anyway, I want to introduce you to uh, Greg Shammy from the great country of Canada by way of Lebanon coming to us. (laughs) Greg Shammy, the master of psychological safety. The reason that I have Greg here is not just because he's oodles of fun, but also because he can walk into any room and change the dynamic for the better in 10 minutes or less. He really is quite remarkable. And I'm actually going to put that out as a challenge. If someone has a group that's really tough, you know, let's put Greg on the spot and bring him in to see what he can do with it. (laughs) That'd be kind of fun, a challenge. That's a great challenge. That's a great challenge. I like it. I'm in, I'm Uh, in. So anyway, everybody, this is Greg Shammy, who's with us today, and Greg's going to help us go through some of the tips. But just to give us a quick review of psychological safety, in case you didn't get to listen to episode one, psychological safety is when you have a climate that's characterized by interpersonal trust, mutual respect, in which people are comfortable expressing and being themselves, and that the work environment is safe for interpersonal risk-taking. So all of that to say that people feel, one, included, two, safe to learn, three, safe to contribute, and four, safe to challenge the status quo, all without fear of being embarrassed, marginalized, or punished. That comes from one of one of my favorite people, Amy Edmondson out of Harvard. She's fantastic. And also Timothy Clark, who's a really cool guy. Both of them have done a lot of work around psychological safety. Even though, Greg, I don't know if you know this, but the term came out in the 90s, 1990 from a psychologist, William Kahn. And then these researchers started taking this kind of psychological term and applying it to like workplace performance and business impact. So anyway, also, if you studied Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, that whole idea of physical need is the most important, then security, then belonging, then fulfillment. This kind of follows along that same thing. And if people feel secure, they're going to produce. 
You're going to get the best ideas, the best innovation. You're going to have tremendous drive hanging on there. A lot of it came out of Project Aristotle, which was a big research project that Google put together. But you can hear more about that in, in episode one. We're going to dive in. Are you ready to dive in, Greg? Yeah, let's get to action bites. Yes. I love it. Okay, so trust us, and if not, listen to it, right? That basically there's more than 20 years of research on the positive benefits of this and how it it relates to folks, right? To the people can speak up, people can ask questions, people can debate, and people can kind of commit themselves to learning and improvement. So let's go. I'm going to put Greg on the spot for some of his tips because he's quite good at this. Like I said, he's he creates it faster than anybody I know in a room of either complete strangers or people that have been working together forever. He goes in and like immediately deepens that conversation. So what's your first tip for anybody who's just trying it or it's like, okay, I got to get better at this, or maybe I'll try. What's your first tip that people could do? First of all, thank you, Christine, uh, for that beautiful intro and framing this session so beautifully as you do. And now I'm fascinated by this concept of psychological safety, right? Everything you were saying, this shared belief of it being safe to discuss ideas, experiment, take risks, give and take feedback and and learn from mistakes, right? That's like really what this is all about. And the thing that comes up for me is how do, you know, really effective managers, directors, leaders do this? How do they create that? And when they do, what are they doing specifically? So the first tip that comes up for me that's so important is this idea of the power of the check-in. A lot of times we're tight on time we're running the river is taking us down the river we've got so many things happening that we don't take the time to connect before diving into business into content right so this idea of taking five minutes to just get a temperature of the room i don't know what's happened to my players before they come into my meeting right i don't know what's happened to them so i have to respect that and i have to start with a thank you for being here that's number one right? Just even the appreciation that I don't know what's happened to you before this, but now you're here now. So let's just get a temperature of the room. And this can be done in very easy way. You could do a quick little whip around where again, I always like to start be the role model of what I'm asking my players to do. And that is uh, even just a word to describe my day up to this point. So if it's four o'clock in the afternoon, I may get a lot of tired, frustrated, uh, very productive or whatever, all, all over the scale words, but I'm getting a little window into where people are at. Another specific strategy I like to use is getting people to uh, give me their personal number and their professional number, zero to 10. 10 being phenomenal, zero being really bad. And just giving me a personal number and a professional number and having the choice to either share something or not. I thought you were asking for their digits, Greg. I'm like, that's not very professional. Asking for their personal number and their work number. You don't mean that. (laughs) No, I mean their their state of being in that moment. (laughs) So personally, I'm a seven right now. And professionally, I'm a a five. Oh, Um, okay. No, no, no. I'm just saying, I'm saying that that's an example. Right. Right. So, but whatever it is, if there are two... And a eight, I'm like, thank you. And because they're giving me a true snapshot of where they're at. And that really helps me to meet them where they're at, which is really one of the core elements to this power of the check-in is meeting my participants where they're at. Because once we're connected with that truth, then we can dig in deep to the business and get stuff done. 
Yeah, you know, uh, we have a colleague, Greg, I don't know if you know this, but he does that as well. And he kind of tracks it so that he knows if people are like some of those low numbers over time, in his one-on-one with them, he really allows them to talk a little bit more because maybe they're going through something. I think with COVID now more than ever, we have to be aware of how they're feeling, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I love that you're connecting it to the one-on-one because it's absolutely true. As a leader, as a manager, I'm always, again, picking up things about I'm assessing where they at, what's happening for them, what's blocking them, what's weighing them down, what can I remove from their path so they can continue to move forward and be excited and engaged and feel good about the work they're doing. Because I know at the end of the day, if they're feeling good about it, they're going to produce and the results are going to run. What do you say to the person? Because there's a lot of them out there listening to this because I know them. I know this is what they're thinking. They're thinking, oh, that sounds great, but I don't have the time for that. I only have 20 minutes with my team or only have a half an hour with my team. And I don't have time to like go around and talk about how everyone's doing. I just, I need to get right to the, I need to get right to what we need to the output. What do you say to that? I say it's a, it's a short-term investment for a long-term gain. Mm that you can do it very quickly. Like I said, we could whip around and and do one word just for where I'm at. And that suddenly just, that's it. And it's done in two minutes. And then we just get a sense of where we're at and then I can dig in. So it can be done very quickly. And to me, payoff is huge. Payoff is huge. And you know what? I always say to them, how much time do you think people waste anyway in the beginning of meetings? right? So I say, start your meeting on time, but do five minutes and put your clock on. And a five minute whip around, I guarantee you, you're wasting less time than if you just let people talk. Because the fact of the matter is, is that what will happen is certain people will talk. Most people will stay silent and they'll be frustrated that you're not starting your meeting on time. So if you say we're starting with a whip around and you know, you stick to that agenda, I guarantee you're going to waste less time. I see it when Greg does it. And and also the rest of the meeting goes by faster because people's brains are now focused on what you're talking about. And just by getting one simple word in their voice, that changes the dynamic of the space because their voice is now in the room. It's just not me telling you what to do Mm -hmm. or how to do it, but you actually are a player, a part of this equation of this whole thing. So yes, even just saying, you know, whatever it is, you're bringing your voice into the space and participating and then suddenly the dynamic changes. I appreciate that about Greg too because sometimes I'm that manager that goes in and wants to just start my meeting because I got stuff to say and I've only got a certain amount of time and Greg always gives me this look like, you gonna let us say anything? You gonna check the pulse? You gonna? He gives me the look and I know like, oh, I know he's right, but uh, sometimes it takes a minute for me to remember that. And I'm always grateful when I do remember it. You don't have to do it every time. It's not a recipe where it has to be followed exactly every time. No, that becomes boring and lame. And I'm going to turn off to that if you're doing the same thing over and over. It's about being real in the moment and taking the time, prioritizing your players, right? And that connect, prioritizing the connect. It doesn't have to be done all the time, but it needs to be a priority. Yeah, five minutes. All right, I love it. I'm going to add tip number two. Can I add tip number two? Yes, please. I'm going to say that this is one that I have made it a goal of mine to do. And that is to share stories of vulnerability and mistakes and learning. Years ago, I went to a conference and every person that got up there, and unfortunately they happened to all be women, they got up there and they were sharing all of the great things that they had done. 
and they were very accomplished women, but it was so boring. It was so boring. And what I found that was interesting was how irritated I was with that. And I thought, well, what's happening? When the men are getting up there and sharing, they're so much more comfortable sharing these stories of their mistakes. And everyone's more engaged. People are laughing. People are, you know, feeling with them. And I thought, wait, what's wrong with me? I'm a woman. Why am I not supporting these women? Like, why am I finding this so irritating comparatively? And I think that, you know, there's a lot of social reasons for this, that it's easier for men to do this. There's, you know, lots of reasons around that. But I made it my goal that day that I was like, I'm going to change this for myself. And I'm going to try to not have to be perfect every time I get up there in front of my team or in front of other folks. And I'm going to try to share stories of uh, places maybe where I've messed up or where I'm a little bit vulnerable or where I had to learn something, not just look how great I am stories. Don't get me wrong. I like those stories too. But since I started changing that in my mindset, it's amazing what happened in my leadership. I mean, I could probably do, you know, a graph of how incredible spikes that I saw in how my team and my staff reacted to it. I get feedback all the time when I share those things that feel a little bit vulnerable and I'm encouraging kind of more emotional conversations. It's not to say that I'm not focused on the business requirements or all the numbers and the things that have to get done, but I think we all think we're the only ones that don't know what we're doing or have messed up. And it's such a relief when someone else shares it. I think the higher up in power you are, the more important it is to do that. And so I think if you're a manager, listening to this, or if you, maybe you don't even have direct reports, but you have been there the longest, or you have the influence with a team of people. If you're a parent with your kids, the more power you have in the relationship, share some of those stories. It's what creates relationship. It's what creates people caring about you and wanting to perform. And I'm just amazed at how this changed for me, how I've been able to be with my team based on it. I mean, just as one of your team members, you are a guru at it. The way you commit and courageously share with a purpose that inspires and motivates and it levels the field, right? So it's, it, takes, it starts to change the power dynamic in a positive way. Yeah. And, and it's very motivating. It's very motivating to see your leader whoever it be, whether it's your manager or your supervisor or your head of company, whatever, share something that isn't perfect, that's a crack, that was a difficult moment for them with a purpose. And it's extremely motivating. Well, and it's what, when I decided to do this podcast, I thought to myself, well, you know, let's put your money where your mouth is, Christine. You could do this in your like comfort of your company, but can you do this for the world, right? And share these things with the world. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's what I'm, that's my next step is, can I really do that? Can I really, can I make that happen? And so I'm going to hold myself accountable. And hopefully you guys listening will too, uh, is I'm going to try to make sure that I'm sharing stories of pitfalls or disasters in management and in the workplace each time or that my guests are and that we're not just sharing tips of things, but also things that are, are challenges. Okay. All right. What's another one, Greg? Uh, tip number three. Okay. So I love this idea of modeling curiosity. And so for me, curiosity becomes a window in 
to learning where people are at, what's going on with them, how I can better serve them as their leader. And the tool that I use within that bucket of curiosity, right, that mindset of curiosity is this ability to use questions as a way of unpacking whatever is going on, unblocking, unfreezing. My goal is to unblock, unfreeze, right? So that they can, again, bring their best self to the game and play their best game. And so using curiosity as a window in uh, or an intention, and then this power of questions. And I think Google did a study on their leaders and found that managers that asked the most questions were the most effective they were the most effective managers and had the best result. And that's really fascinating. I think the average was like three questions that people asked. Yeah. And it was the managers who asked more than eight questions that really opened up and got deeper into what the problem was and was able to come to some really great solutions. I, you know, I just saw a study recently, I can't remember where it's from, that only 30% of employees think that their opinions matter at work. What? 30%? That means 70% of people think that their opinions don't matter at work? That's crazy, right? I mean, talk about not getting performance out of people. What I love about you saying modeling curiosity is sometimes as leaders, I'm so focused on galvanizing everyone around an idea that I want that I forget that the most powerful learning mechanism is questions, right? And where Greg and I work in education all the time, and that's one of the things that I certainly learned through those clients is how important asking questions are because that's when their brains light up. You know, you, you could hook someone up to an fMRI machine and if they're listening to my pitch, uh, their brain may light up a little bit depending on how absolutely enchanting I am. But the reality is if I'm asking them questions, their brain is really lighting up because they think they have to be ready to respond. It's also good that if everyone's yesing you, I love this, ask them questions like, okay, guys, who doesn't agree with me? Like, what's wrong? P pick some holes in this. Like, what am I not thinking of? You know? Yeah. I don't, or saying, I don't, I don't know. That's such a great point, Christine. I, I love that so much. That question of what am I missing here? What, you know, what do you think even is one of my, one of my phrases. What do you think about this? Uh, I really want to hear your ideas. Again, eliminating the judgment in the space and just getting that ideation to start sparking and, and starting a fire with it, right? The other phrase I like to use is I don't know. I actually don't know. I actually don't know. What do you think? Like, because I, I feel like I don't know is a, a really, again, vulnerable thing for a leader to say and an engaging thing for a leader to say in order to get people in and engage in what we're talking about. So, But it feels like weakness, right? I have to write that down because I, th I don't think I say that enough when I hear you say that. I think it feels like weakness to not know, but it's so powerful because then they need to investigate maybe be more engaged yeah because i'm way i'm way stronger with you than i am alone and so i know how much the potential power of my team is way stronger together than just me or just two of us or just three of us right so it's really if you have that again that concept in your mindset then you're always trying to cultivate the power of us and that that's a that's an unlimited resource like it's unlimited 
if it's done well, it will always deliver. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to start using that. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to even say that, Greg. I mean, as a parent, I should start, you know, I've never gotten a kid into college, but when I'm talking to my 17-year-old about college, I don't think I've ever said I don't know. But I sure, certainly don't know. Maybe if I told him I didn't know more, he would be more curious about finding out himself. All right. I'm, I'm going to say that three times next week. That's going to be my goal. Thank you for that tip. Greg. All right. I'm going to give you a tip too. Okay. This one is one that everyone's going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know, but it's tip number four, encourage risk taking. All right. Everyone says yay to this, but we don't actually like to do it because we have to fight our brain. So encourage risk taking is the tip. But really, the tip is the only way you can encourage risk-taking that I've seen is by destigmatizing failure. So focus less on telling people to take risks because that's useless unless you start figuring out ways to destigmatize failure. There's a great book by Amy Edmondson called The Fearless Organization, and she breaks down destigmatizing failure really well. So for instance, if you have a frame of failure is not acceptable, which we all know we're not supposed to say anymore, but it doesn't mean that when you go into a culture that you see it, right? But if you change failure is not acceptable to you destigmatize that with the culture of failure is a natural byproduct of experimentation, right? How many times, and you've heard this example, million, right? Did the light bulb, Thomas Edison and created the light bulb, had to fail as a byproduct of experimentation in creating the light bulb, right? The same thing is true about anything in your business, a new product, an idea, a new process. So it's not enough to say it because people do not believe words on the wall. They only believe it if you're showing it to them, right? That if you're showing that you're comfortable with failure. And one of those ways is sharing your stories of it. So another a traditional frame that she talks about is effective performers don't fail, right? Okay, it's okay for Greg to fail, but I'm not gonna fail because I'm very effective, right? That sometimes people say that. Instead, you want the mindset effective performers produce, learn from, and share the lessons from intelligent failures. Right. And people love it because you put intelligent in front of failures and then all of a sudden they're comfortable with it. But yeah, if I'm an effective performer, I learn from my failures and I share those lessons. So one of the things that I do is that not only do I try to lead by example and share my failure stories often and probably not as often as I should, but that's my goal is to go to my people that in the organization, maybe it's on my executive team, maybe it's your go-to, maybe it's your highest performing salespeople, whoever, and you explain this idea to them and say, I think it's going to help the group if they learn from how you have intelligently failed before. And they are not going to be comfortable with this. Uh, you'd be surprised when people are told to share some stories of failure, how they skip over the failure part and go right to their success and how brilliant they are real fast. So when they do, that's okay. Practice, right? We're not great at this to start with. When they share that story, you give them kudos for sharing it. And then you point out the, the very two second part of the story where they actually shared a failure or learning or a mistake. And you focus in on how great that particular thing was. And then you'll see them start to get more comfortable in those moments. Just like when that guy in our office shared his letter, you know, of a client being very unhappy with him, uh, how, when we gave him feedback on his presentation, I 
keyed in on that moment of how powerful that was. Cause you, it's kind of like with kids, you want to, you know, focus on the, the behavior that you want. And instead of saying that we're going to prevent failure, you're going to promote fast learning. Only way to promote fast learning is to fail. Yeah. What do you think, Greg? I'm having a, a aha moment because as an actor, I've become a professional at failing. And so, you know, you go into an audition after audition after audition, and it's 99% rejection, no matter how great you are or what, there's so many variables. So you become a professional at failing, and then you build a resilient skin to be able to bring your best self into any space. And now I'm, you know, assessing why am I such a proponent for mistakes are gifts. And it's because of all the learning that comes from the failures, from the mistakes. And it's about me, like you said, taking those nuggets and then taking them forward. And that's why now I can go into any situation and I can, you know, at least try and know that I'm bringing my best self into that situation. And that's empowering. That's a really empowering, even if I'm going to fail, that's empowering. Yeah. All right. Tip number five. What do you got for us? Uh, Okay. So... This is your last one, Greg, so it better be good. Oh, thanks for the pressure. I love it. Um, <laughs> I think it's, and this is definitely not my my comfort zone, so it's a, it's a stepping out of my comfort zone, which, again, I like because I know that's where the most growth happens. Fighting dissent and healthy debate, I think, is a really important tip to have, again, in my on my dashboard that... Anytime people are just yesing, yes, 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 terrific. I love that idea. That's it, done. That we're not going as far as, like you were saying before, inviting other thoughts around what doesn't work about this or push back. And that, I think I used the word friction in the last episode. That friction is is essential. It's a creative glue that then propels the idea way farther than if you just get yes. So I, I hate conflict like a lot of people do. I avoid conflict. I mean, now I'm 51, so I'm, I've really been working on this for many years and I'm stepping into conflict way more with intention and, you know, do tons of workshops on that as well. And so I'm trying to, you know, develop my own skills in that area continuously. But this is one of those areas, inviting people who, knowing that on my team, I have folks who aren't just going to yes me, and that they're going to stand up and share things that are going to try and, you know, blow some holes in my idea or our ideas is going to take us way further. Oh, I know this is true. And yet the part of me that has to lead a team and get them on board with something, I find this so hard. It's so difficult because I would much rather go into a team meeting and have everybody on the same page and move quickly. But I hear you say it and intellectually, I know you're right. I need to figure out how to make sure that we have some intellectual friction around this. But boy, oh boy, in the moment, do I not want this? I I mean, honestly, I'm going to have to give myself a little mantra. You're going to have to give me a little mantra I can play in my headphones before I go into some of these executive team meetings, Greg, because I feel like inadvertently, I'm maybe not encouraging enough of this. Yeah, you have to get in the zone in all these things. That's why I love the tips, because you can put them up you can go over them and you can start to build the skills so that when you do walk into whatever space it is to lead whatever meeting it is, presentation, you name it, you have that mindset. So even as a facilitator, this is a no brainer. I'm gonna embrace anything that comes at me, whether it's 
negative or what have you, right? And that diffuses it. The ability to embrace what's actually coming at you diffuses it. And so as a leader, I want to have that as part of my arsenal that yes, dissent is a great thing. Healthy debate is a great thing. I will still hopefully be able to drive the piece forward, but I'm gonna welcome this, cut it off if I have to, and move the piece forward when we have to, but that this is welcome because we will go farther with that being expressed. I love it. I just, when you were saying, you just gave me the idea. I'm gonna do, this is be my mantra before I go into those meetings. I'm gonna say, debate and dissent to discover. <laughs> debate and dissent to discover. D3, people, you heard it here first. It. All right, Greg, I'm gonna practice it. All right, and last tip of today, tip number six, you know, you gotta train people in this. This doesn't happen naturally. Greg and I have been students of this kind of work for, you know, two decades now. And the reality is, is that we're still learning. So you got to invest in your own growth and development and those of your team. So train what you can in emotional intelligence and leadership development. It's a huge differentiator in your arc of your career and of your organization. You know that McKinsey, you know, did a study recently, Greg, I was reading about that organizations that invest in leadership development are more likely to see leader behaviors that foster psychological safety. Like that's how much they're looking at psychological safety and that the only way you can do it, unless you're just, you know, Gandhi, is that you are getting training. But the reality is, is that we have to practice anything. We put a lot of money towards sales training. We put a lot of money towards, you know, training people in the doing of what the systems are in your company. We just expect everyone to know how to be emotionally intelligent, how to build social bonds, how to lead teams, when we probably haven't worked on that stuff since, in some cases, since kindergarten. And since kindergarten, we haven't really focused on that. We've focused on content instead of how to connect. And so anyway, I think it's a big investment. We invest in it in our company. We obviously spend our lives going around trying to help folks with that. So even listening to this podcast, you're doing it for yourself, hopefully. Um, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe because we're just getting our little wings off the ground and want to continue this. If you want to get these tips in the description, there's a link where you can download a PDF of all of these tips and use them hopefully in your workplace and let us know how they're going. Maybe we'll, if you're interested, we'll give you some more of those later when we can tell you. I'm going to ask Greg to kind of break down, be a scientist to his art and his craft and see how he does this so quickly because he's doing all six of these things all the time and then maybe even a little bit more. So Greg, I want to thank you for being with us today. And it's such a pleasure to spend my time with you. And hopefully I'll see you again at a future podcast. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. This was great, Christine. Uh, always a pleasure because uh, I bow to you. <laughs> Your majesty. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Yes. Uh, well, that's exciting. Get, join us next time for uh, our next episode. I hope to, to have you guys back. Thanks so much. Bye, everybody. Thanks everybody for listening. I'd like to give a special shout out to our podcast producer, Richard Francisco. 
Check out our notes for any details. And if you get anything out of this, please follow us. And if you enjoy it, please take a moment to rate us or write a comment. It will mean the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. And if you just can't get enough, follow me on TikTok and check out tlpnyc.com slash podcast for more information.